I'm Cameron Harold, the founder of the Second in Command podcast. Really quick, before we jump into today's episode, you need to know about two important ways that we can help you and your company grow. Number one, check out the COO Alliance. It's for COOs, presidents, VP ops, or whoever is your company's second in command to the CEO. The COO Alliance is the world's leading community for the second in command, and it gives COOs the tools and connections to grow themselves and the company. Head over to COOalliance.com to learn more about our members and the results, the program, and our 10x guarantee. If you qualify for membership, you can set up a complimentary call with our team to discuss if it's right for you. I'll tell you about number two in a bit, but first, let's start this week's episode. But if you've got people mm. that are doing job interviews that have never been trained on doing, doing interviews, if you don't have simple systems in place to know what you're looking for and how do we find it and how do we rate people, how do we compare them, then yeah, of course, you're going to hire shitty people. Of course, business is difficult, right? So put people through the Invest in Your Leaders course, put people into the CEO Alliance, grow their skills, grow their confidence, create the internal systems. And again, if you're the entrepreneur, you don't have the skills to do this, but hire a freelancer or a full-time person who can put these systems into your company so you do have a better prediction for success. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Are you facing the challenge of finding that perfect second in command for your company? In this episode, you're in for a treat as we delve into the secrets of transforming your hiring approach. We'll explore the art of crafting job postings that not only attract, but polarize the ideal candidates. Cameron will guide us through the process of evaluating core behavioral traits during interviews and help us spot those all-important red flags in the hiring process. But that's not all. We'll also learn about the importance of prioritizing cultural fit for a harmonious team and gain insight into effective recruiting strategies that can make all the difference. Plus, Cameron will emphasize the crucial need to invest in your team's growth for improved company performance. So get ready to revolutionize your recruitment strategy and build a winning team that will drive your business to new heights. Remember, the secret to your company's success may very well lie in the people you find. Today, we are with Cameron Harold from the COO Alliance, as well as the host of the Second in Command podcast. And today, we're going to be covering the nitty gritty around hiring COOs, or I think as you prefer to reference them as the Second in Command. Is that right, Cameron? Yeah, it's funny. If I was to rename the COO Alliance now, I would have called it something around the Second in Command because we've got members that have the President title, the VP Operations title. The CEO Alliance is really anyone who is second in command to the CEO of companies doing minimum $5 million in revenue to qualify. Our average size member is about $42 million. Wow. Okay. So they're all over the map, but that's a good average size. And how many members are a part of your CEO Alliance right now? Um, we've got members now from 17 countries. And at the end of this year, we want to be at 250 members. So nice size, good size community. About 40% of our members are women. I'd say about 80 percent are US, 10% Canada, and then the other 10% are spread over 15 other countries. Okay. Awesome. Before we get in, I just also wanted to clarify that I'm seeing comments come in. That's great. But why don't you tell everybody while you're here on this call, you know, where you live in the world. Also, if you're in an operation this role, just write down the, uh, the operation role that you're in. And I'd encourage you as we're going through this, we're going to save some time at the end 
to answer some questions that we've seen. So if you could write your questions down below, that would be amazing. And every once in a while, I'm just going to do a little shoulder check with people, just make sure they can continue to hear us. If we don't get your question, I promise you that someone on Cameron's team or Cameron himself, maybe someone on our team will come in and make sure we get it answered or get you pointed in the right direction. Afterwards, sometimes it's hard to answer all the questions live, but we are watching them. Be patient with me. Uh, fantastic. I, I see some questions coming in. Well, let's start right at the beginning with with hiring, you know, the second in command role. Now, now, what are some of the, tell me again, what are some of the titles that you see for this role? They're not always COO. What what can they be? Yeah, it could be. So again, you're the, you're the second in command to the CEO. So it could be a president. Okay. It could be a chief operating officer. could be a vice president operations. Some of our second in commands are the CFO, right? But they're running operations as well as finance, but they lean more on the finance it's really, it's really, you know, it could be general manager. If you're a smaller company, it could be a director of operations. Sometimes, you know, people are following the EOS model and they're in the kind of maybe the 10 employee to 50 employee zone and they just call it visionary and yeah. integrator. But it's really, you're, you're the true kind of yin and yang to that, that CEO. You're the one who, if they were sick for six months, you'd be running the company or you're really operating as their better half. You know, it's, it's kind of like you're the mom and dad of the business. Uh, if you think of it that way. Okay. It makes sense. Do all companies hire this role or is it obvious that everybody needs to hire this role? Or are there some companies who are like, have no clue that they need to hire this particular role? Yeah. It's becoming more and more, I don't want to use the word trendy because trend is the wrong term, but mm. it's definitely becoming more operationally observed as a best practice. In 2018, Fortune Magazine in the actual print edition talked about the rise of the COO group. And they talked about the COO Alliance as one of these groups that were starting to cater to that COO. You know, Sheryl Sandberg, who we've all heard the name of, was the second in command at Facebook for Mark Zuckerberg. And she came in almost as the adult in the room in the early days, right? As the, mm. so what we're recognizing <laughs> is that the second in command can play a very key role. I think in mm. the past, we tended to have a leadership team and the CEO was leading a leadership team and there was no one that was necessarily there to do that for them. And I think we were expecting mm. entrepreneurs to be strong at operations and most entrepreneurs are not. When you're the hired gun CEO, when you're, when you're bringing, you know, let's say you're a 500 person company and you're hiring a CEO to run the company and report to the board, those people tend to be more operationally you know, yeah. focused or, or strong versus a lot of the entrepreneurs who are the perpetual motion machines. They're having the constant idea flow, um, you know, the, the, the ADD squirrel moments, right. Which is great. And it allows them to scale. <laughs> that tends to be where you'll notice the second command, the person who has the operational chops. Right. Well, I think maybe that's it. Like if you're an established company, you're a big company, you've been around, like everybody knows you need these operational type roles, including the second commander, the CEO. Mm -hmm. I think it's only now it's it's founders it's these growth businesses that are in hyper growth that are probably almost first time ceos right they they nominate themselves as the ceo but they don't really know what they're doing they it probably never occurs to them they always need a second in command that to help them run things to, to keep the ship flowing right yeah and and what what tends to happen is these smart ceos tend to wake up one day and say i'm either not getting enough done or I'm overwhelmed, or I have time to manage people, but I don't have time to grow people, right? Mm -hmm. Or I'm working on all these areas of the business that drain me of energy, 
or I'm working on all these areas of business and I have no time for my life or myself. And they recognize that they, they, they could use one or they need one, or it would be really beneficial if they had somebody to really help them scale the business. Right at the end of the day, entrepreneurs only start a company for one of three reasons. We start a company to give us cash, give us free time, or to be able to put a stake in the ground to say we did it. Mm -hmm. And if we've already got the company up and running and we know that we've, we've proven that we've done it, now it's about cash and free time. Often we're then making enough money. It's, it's often the free time that we don't have, right? We feel like we're a slave to the business and we recognize, wow, if I could start delegating some of the stuff that drains me of energy, if I could start delegating stuff, some of the stuff that I'm not good at to someone else, that's going to free up my time. And then what happens because you've got somebody who likes those areas and they're good at those areas, your business starts to scale and you're now growing your company by doing less. I think it's like multiplication by subtraction. Yeah. I mean, it's all these different leverage points, right? I mean, you're trying to start buy back your time and find more leverage that way so you can do more impactful things mm -hmm. or have less things draining on you. So those are great questions to be asking of like, you know, when you should um, hire one. Uh, someone had mentioned, a, you know, in the comments here, and again, like if you have a question, I want to encourage you to put it down. We're going to cherry pick them out. We're going to try to get to all the questions live, but if we can't, we promise to circle back afterwards and answer them. But someone was asking like, like at what point financially in your company, like where does your company need to be financially to think about hiring these roles was a question that came up. Yeah, great question. So it kind of predicates, so I guess the question is tied to what size person are we hiring, right? Or do we need a full-time mm. versus a fractional? So the changes in our organizations tend to happen at the ones and threes. You know, 100,000 in revenue, it's really just you and you're scraping it all together. You get to 300,000 in revenue, you can probably afford to hire your first person. You get to a million in revenue, you can probably hire your first manager to manage some people for you. You get to 3 million in revenue, you can probably hire a couple of managers to manage most of the people. You get to 10 million in revenue, you've got your first management team and, and you've got a group of five or six people that are managing everyone and you're managing five or six people. But none of those managers are really super skilled. Mm. When you get to, to the 30 million, you now can have a leadership team. And those are functional heads that are strong, that have done it before, that are seasoned that bring in a level of P&L responsibility, a level of strategic insight. They really don't need to be managed at all. They need to be pointed in the right direction and get you out of the way so they can lead and run the company for you. That transition happens at about the 10 to 30 million mark. So mm -hmm. when you're looking to hire that COO, when you can afford to hire one is really, when will you be able to free up time and when will the return on that investment be at a three to four times lever? So if you're going to spend 250,000 or 300,000 to hire a real COO, can they generate about a million, two million in, in revenue that will drop enough gross margin to the bottom line that they really start to pay for themselves and then some? And then you know that you're getting leverage right off of that hire. So the other part is, will it free up your time to give you a life, right? Maybe you're going to make a little less than you used to. Maybe now you're not working 80 hours a week. Maybe your relationship with your spouse gets better. Maybe you can work on your health. Maybe you can have a better relationship with your kids. So maybe it'll cost you on one area. It'll cost you financially, but it'll free you up and save you time, which is, you know, can be more valuable. So it's a, it's a hard question. Totally. You're absolutely right. Like, I mean, like, look, you know, 
let's say you got a great business and and you're the CEO, the founder, you know, you pay yourself a salary, but your dividends or whatever, you, you, if you're taking home a million bucks at the end of the year, is it really a big deal to have a better quality of life to part with a, a few extra hundred thousand dollars? <laughs> to just like have a relationship with your children again, right? Well, the reality like, is, yeah, like, what a great point. Let, let's say that you're, you know, you're married and you've got a relationship with your spouse and the business is literally draining you of energy. So you're showing up as leftovers every day. How much yeah. is it going to cost your company if you go through a divorce? How much is it going to cost you as a mm -hmm. human emotionally if you, if because you're not spending time with your spouse and your children, it's going to destroy your company? Yeah. So sometimes that is a good investment. Totally. The other one I mentioned, yeah. I kind of glossed over it, but we often say, oh, I have time to manage people. Now, managing mm. people is one thing, but hiring a team of people that manage themselves, hiring a team of people that don't need you to manage them at all, hiring a team of people that then you can grow their skills and grow their confidence and work on alignment and give them more projects and more parts of the business is more powerful than hiring a, a group of people that you have to manage. Right. So yeah. it's kind of growing the company and getting it to that level. And often that second in command can help you do that as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because, I mean, listen, like the one thing that we know about people is there's always like problems <laughs> and people are difficult. It's hard. As much as we love our people, you need help on someone who's really good at not only just managing them, but growing them. Right. I was um, I was sitting in the, the boardroom for the CEO at Sprint, Marcelo Claret, and it was Marcelo and I sitting in his boardroom in Kansas City at the head office of Sprint. And I was doing some coaching with him and he turned to me and we were laughing about his org chart. And he said, when are people no longer going to be a problem? And I said, you're the 82nd largest company in the United States. If people are a problem now, they're always going to be a problem. Right. The, <laughs> people side of the business is complicated and it always will be. And that's really a critical skill of that second in command is someone mm -hmm. who is very strong at the people side of the business. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, and this is one of the reasons why I recommend everybody who's in an operations role or management role to take your course, because you, you talk a lot about this, giving people the skills, like teaching them how to fish, <laughs> not just giving them fish. And this course is amazing for that. Um, if you haven't checked out Cameron's course and invest in your leaders, and I believe it's investinyourleaders.com as well too, right? That's right. Yeah. 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 Go, go take the course. And it's a great way if you don't have time to even train your team to use the course to train them. And that's what I did. I was running out of time and I wasn't able to afford to hire a second in command yet in my own limiting beliefs. Probably I used the course to be able to level up my team, which is amazing. Now I see a question that just came in Cameron. It says, this is a really good question. And again, if you haven't asked your questions, put them down below. We're going to try to get to them, but it says here, you know, should you look, start looking for this second in command role internally or externally? That's a great question. It really depends on the level of kind of IP knowledge or industry knowledge that your business absolutely requires. And I think a lot of people okay. think that their business or their industry is different and it's not right. Mm -hmm. For the most cases, most of our businesses are fairly similar. But if you're an engineering company, you probably need somebody who's got strong engineering. If you're, you know, a very much a tech company, you probably need somebody who's got really solid tech experience. You know, you wouldn't want Matt, you, you know, if you run a marketing agency, you wouldn't want a second in command who's never worked in marketing, right? You need mm -hmm. somebody who at least understands the core functional areas. But if you're a company yeah. that makes chairs and you're hiring somebody, you know, who's, who's been in manufacturing and they've made carpets and tables, they're probably going to be okay. 
right? Yeah, totally. But if you run a restaurant <laughs> chain, you probably don't want somebody who's who's run a clothing store, right? Like there's mm. so it depends on the amount of industry IP that is really necessary to help you scale. Would be my thoughts. Interesting. That's a great answer. I like that as well, too. That makes sense. There's another question that came in that's kind of a sub-question of this that's really interesting, and I think we should ask it is, like, hiring someone who's done it before versus not done it before, and, like, hire, like graduating someone internally, and I think what's the question there? Like, we have someone really great that thinks could that, that could be the, the second in command, but I don't know if I should hire them because it says here, like, they haven't actually done it before. Yeah, so... What can happen internally is you have that MVP, right? The most valuable player, and you need to try to find ways to handcuff them to your company. So often you'll promote them. Sometimes you promote them to their ceiling of complexity, right? Where they, they're, they're now bumping into their skill level, which is fine if you put them into the CO Alliance, you put them into the Invest in Your Leaders course, maybe you get them some mentoring and coaching and you grow their skills yeah. around leadership. That can be really powerful and can work quite well. You need a self-driven learner, someone who really is not going to be waiting to be fed with learning opportunities, but they're hungry and they're out there working and trying to grow themselves and their own skills. They'll probably do well in that kind of an environment. And because they're internal to the company, they know people, they know the IP, they know the systems. They can some, It's kind of the better the devil you know than a devil you don't, that mm -hmm. as long as they're self-driven and, and going to continue to work on the people side, they'll probably do quite well. The danger in, in, in always hiring from outside is you start to lose some of that internal, you know, DNA. What was the first part of the question, though? It was less about the hiring internal. Yeah, it was about like, the, I think the question basically was saying is like, we have someone internally that we're thinking about promoting to this role, but should we do that versus like, because they haven't done it? Yeah. Should we hire them or should we hire outside? But I think you answered it in the right, you know, yeah, well, in let, an interesting way. Let's speak to then the, the experience of having done it before. So for every person you put into a role in the organization, you should be looking at the core four or five main projects that are on their plate over the next 12 months. What are the core four or five main things that they have to get done over the next 12 months? And have they done those kinds of things before? Now, where most companies often go wrong is they'll hire somebody who knows how to do it, but they haven't done it before. So I'll give you a weird analogy, but it'll ring true. Um, I think, didn't you used to be a swimmer? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you competed in swimming, right? Now, Correct. you know how to win an Olympic record and you know how to win a gold medal, but you've never done either of them, right? Now, I know how to win an Olympic gold and I know how to break a world record, but I've never done it either. Now, you've competed in, what did you compete in? Front crawl, breaststroke? Yeah, backstroke was backstroke. my event. So you've competed yeah. in backstroke. I know how to do backstroke. You've competed in it. Who is going to be the better swimmer at backstroke? Someone who knows how to do it, me, or someone who's done it and competed, you. Right. So we'd be much better off hiring you as a swimmer to compete in backstroke if you're, if, right? So why are you going to hire somebody who has to build teams if they've never built them before? has to oversee yeah. five business areas they've never overseen before, has to you know do a reorg of the company if they've never done reorgs before. They have to help do a couple of mergers and acquisitions if they've never done it before, but they've read books about it. Right. <laughs> so don't hire people that know how to do it, hire people that have done it before. Because yeah. I would drown having to race doing the butterfly. I know how to do butterfly, but I would drown doing it. <laughs> right, totally. Yeah. We're going to get to interviewing in a minute, like on how to interview for this role. But first, like, let's back it up even more. So 
let's just, we've had this epiphany. We know we need to hire a person like this. <laughs> We're starting to look at like, do we hire or promote internally versus externally? But, you know, let's just say you can go back to the job posting. Like what, what needs to be in a job posting for this type of role? Yeah. Well, let me, let me talk before I even say what has to be in it. I want to make sure that I cover something. I want people okay. to have every job posting written where it polarizes and it pushes 50% of the people that read it away. I want 50% of the people to read the job posting and say, there's no way that I would ever work for a company like that. There's no way I would want a job like this. It sounds too hard or too, too tough or too brutal or too whatever. Great, you're gone. The other 50% of the people will be like, hell yeah, this sounds amazing. I want this challenge, right? So what I do mm. is I have every job posting, whether it's for a COO or a VP of ops or a head of marketing or whatever, you get the head of the functional area to write the job posting first, and we'll get into what goes in the job posting. But then you pass it to a copywriter, and you have a copywriter take the job posting and polish it like a sales letter so that it pops off the page, so that it really truly does magnetize half the people, and it polarizes and pushes the other half away. That's a key yeah. thing to think about is your every job posting is like a sales letter. You need to make it sizzle. So yeah. what goes into the job posting? The core things that go in are the things that are required for the job. So here's the four or five core things you're responsible for. Here's the behavioral traits we need you to exhibit in the job. And here are our core values as an organization that you need to already live by and obsess. And by the way, if you're breaking the core values, you'll be fired. If you're showing up and you're not exhibiting these behavioral traits, you'll probably be fired. And if you don't have the experience to do these four or five core projects, you're never going to get hired or you're probably going to struggle, which means you're probably going to get fired. So don't apply unless you meet all those things. That's the starting point of the job description. Yeah. And, and I guess even include the bad stuff that might be difficult, right? Like like you mentioned, it's important to, to repel the wrong people and attract the right people. So don't run away from the difficulty of whatever the the, the responsibilities are going to be. Yeah. So I would imagine that everything's perfect at every company, no, right? Make, like you might as well say, like, this is a shit job in some way, right? Yeah, I'm like I, when I read job postings, mine say you'll be reporting to a very bipolar, ADD kind of moment executive <laughs> who will drive you crazy at times, but you'll love working for him. So if somebody will read and go, I don't want to work for somebody like that, great. Other people are like, fuck yeah, let me in, right? I even right. swear in my job postings, I go, you'll be really fucking busy. Oops, there's my first F-bomb. I hate that I swear, but I do once in a while. I, let's, let's just. So I have some people go, I can't believe you swore in a job posting. Delete. And other people are like, I love that you fucking swore in a job posting. Oh, you're interesting. So interesting. write it in that way and in that style that you're willing to polarize. Now, there's something yeah. that, that I learned recently that um, talks to the, the male and female. Men are not hairy versions of women. Men, men see things and, and make decisions differently than women do. If you put down 10 criteria for a job, like you must have five years experience, a university degree, you must have done these seven other things. If you list those 10 things out, if women don't hit eight or nine of the 10, they won't apply. Men will apply if they hit three or four of the 10. So be very careful that you don't put too many things in that are not absolutely required. Like if, if somebody comes in and they've run businesses like yours, they've developed teams and people, they've run business areas, they're a great culture fit, and they've never gone to university, is a university yeah. degree required? No. Then don't put it in because you're precluding a, a huge group of people. So only put the stuff in that's really required 
and get rid of the fluff that typically kind of HR or the old school, you know, job postings used to include. Yeah. I've even seen someone say before in one of the job postings, which was interesting, like apply even if you don't meet all this criteria, we're still looking for like interesting people. I thought that was a neat way to go about doing, but I like your idea better. You're absolutely right. Like just cut out all the fluff and just make sure only the core, core things are important. Everything else is optional. Right. right? And the stuff that's see. core is yeah. you better have done this stuff before you better live these core values, right? And, and, and you need yep. to show up kind of exhibiting these kinds of behaviors. Those are core. Those are critical. Yep. But whether or not yep. you can, you know, use a certain software, like if somebody's good at learning software, they'll figure out if they've never used Asana and they've only used yeah. Monday and Trello, but they're like, they're yeah. wizards at Monday and Trello, <laughs> they'll figure out Asana. It's the same thing. Project managed software is project managed right. software. Totally. Exactly. You know, once you understand a Kanban bar board, you can take it from doing to done or whatever the, the drag and drop system yeah, is. Exactly <laughs> yeah, right. Totally. Makes sense. Yeah. Don't obsess about those weird details that they had to have used a very specific thing. Because you'll scare, totally. some, you'll this scare people away that, that actually are yeah. for the job. Yeah. So you could say this ERP or this CRM and then you scared someone really great away and it, when it really didn't matter that it's HubSpot versus Salesforce right. or et cetera. Yeah. It makes sense. Okay. There's another question coming here. This is a really good question too, is, which is, so this is a pre-interview. Like what do you need to do to prepare yourself to be able to even rate candidates? So it comes down to having clarity around what we're looking for, right? If you, it's kind of what the Cheshire cat said to Alice in Wonderland. If you don't know what you're looking for, any road will get you there. Or if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. So yeah, it's really having clarity around what are we looking for and how are we going to rate people on those things? So as an example, let's say on the behavioral trait side, let's say we're looking for somebody who is strong at leadership, strong at tenacity, and strong at attainment, like goal orientation, and strong um, ability to regulate their emotions. Let's say those are the four core behavior traits we're hiring for. Well, how would you define tenacity so that anybody in your company who's interviewing knows the definition of what we're looking for? Let's say tenacity is the dog-like work ethic to get over, under, or around any obstacle put in one's path. Definition, so we know what we're looking for, we know how to define it, and what are the four or five core questions that we're going to ask everybody to start digging around tenacity, right? So at least we know what we're looking for, how to define it, we know roughly what we're going to be asking. That starts the process, and then if you give people the training, and again, one of the 12 modules in my Invest in Your Leaders course is on interviewing. So definitely go through that mm. module. And you know, there's lots of books you can read on interviewing, et cetera, but you have to have the core skills to do an interview. Now, if you yeah. know where you're going and you know how to define it, you know the starting point, you're gonna get yourself there. Then what I like to do is I like to grade everyone on a bell curve. So on a scale of one through five, how am I gonna grade them on leadership? And only 10% of the people get a five out of five, 10% of the people can get a one out of five, 20% of the people can get a four out of five and 20% of the people can get a two out of five and 40% of the people can get a three out of five. The same for tenacity, the same for introspection, the same for whatever your things you're interviewing for. So then what I'm looking for is in the first interview, I need people who rank at least a four or a five on leadership, attainment, tenacity, and ability to regulate emotions. If they do, then I'll move to the next layer of the interview. So that's how I rate people. That's how I kind of bell curve you know, in the interview process. 
That that's really interesting, and the fact they use the bell curve. So like, there's a medium at the end of the day, and, and that's just table stakes. Like, if they just hit the middle, the bell curve is not good enough. They need to be on the other side of it. Really, yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. And you're using a, a scorecard for this. Is this like a scorecard? Yeah, it's just like, like an like internal. You... And you can you can just create like an internal one page worksheet for this. You know, I, I remember years ago, and and this is why I'll give you an example of why it's so critical. Years ago, we were interviewing some people, and they had to be very high on tenacity, right? So tenacity, by definition, inside of our company, was the dog-like work ethic to get over, under, around any obstacle put in one's path. That was the definition. But this vice president had graded somebody a five out of five on tenacity. I had given the mm. person a one. I'm like, wait a second. Why did you give them a five? He goes, they're a bricklayer. It's a hard job. They do a hard job every day. I'm like, no, no, no. It's the tenacity is not that they do a hard job. So I reread the definition and I said. They've quit everything they've ever done. They dropped out of high school. They've quit at every job. They never showed up at tutors. They're basically lazy humans who gave up at everything they've ever done. And because of that, they had to end up doing a manual labor job at making bricks, which is a shitty okay. hard job, but they're not hard workers. And he went, holy shit, you're right. He went from a five out of five to a one out of five because he now had clarity on the definition again. Interesting. So would you say part of the process of getting prepared really is too, is even working with your team of people who are part of the interview process Critical. and educating them on the definitions of it? Because Critical. even though you wrote it down, it like people do interpret things very differently yeah. and then you get a different rating thing, this is, right? This is why business is like, people say business is hard. Business is easy if your managers and leaders have the skills to do their job. But if you've got people mm. that are doing job interviews that have never been trained on do it, doing interviews, if you don't have simple systems in place to know what you're looking for and how do we find it and how do we rate people, how do we compare them, then yeah, of course you're going to hire shitty people. Of course, business is difficult, right? So put people through the Invest in Your Leaders course, put people into the CEO Alliance, grow their skills, grow their confidence, create the internal systems. And again, if you're the entrepreneur, you don't have the skills to do this, but hire a freelancer or a full-time person who can put these systems into your company. So you do have a better prediction for success. I came out of a company where I learned all this was at College Pro Painters, right? We had to go out every year and hire 800 new franchisees. And then over six weeks, those 800 franchisees had to hire 8,000 painters. So imagine over a course of four to five months hiring 8,800 people every year. I was in the top 30 people of that company. So, so we were operationally world-class at recruiting, interviewing, selection, onboarding, training, and the development of people. Most companies yeah. aren't. So then they run around saying business is difficult. Business is really simple. Yeah. We overcome. Well, you put in the, you put in the reps, right? That's a lot of interviewing of people. So you, you're going to start to see patterns. So speaking of that, there was a question that came into this and add your questions again. It says, what are some red flags to look out for during the hiring process? Red flags are the culture fit. All right. Are these the people that we want to hang out with? Right. Because no matter how strong their skills are, no matter how much they've done it before, if they culturally don't align with the organization or the rest of the team, it's going to be a mismatch. And again, it's very similar to that. The former president of Starbucks that came in as my replacement, they culturally weren't aligned with the rest of the culture. So they started to break things, not by not on purpose, they just culturally were, were a bigger mesh for a corporate environment than an entrepreneurial, you know, blue wig culture, right? The guerrilla yeah. marketing culture. So culture yeah. fit is one. Secondly, is probably their ability to, um, to grow people. I think a leader's core job is to grow people. 
So have they in the past grown people, got them promoted? You know, are, do they have three people that are going to be bringing into the company after they start because these people follow them everywhere? I think there's red flags there. The other red flag I look for is people that have not stayed with jobs for more than three to four years, right? If they're constantly like 12 months, 18 months, 12 months, 18 months hopping around, they're not going to be with you for very long. And usually that sends a signal. In their minds, they got promoted, they moved on, but really they probably weren't doing great in that company and they moved somewhere else. So they're hopping. You don't need that mm -hmm. hopping culture internally. Yeah, especially for a senior leader, right? I mean, I know it's sometimes common people do it younger today. They get a pay raise. That's the only way they feel like they can grow. Yeah. But at a senior level, you're looking for someone to put in some time or show commitment. Exactly. You know? And to stick with it because yeah. we've got to get through that next phase together. Totally. Yeah, I get it. There, We have time for two more questions coming in. So put your questions in here. I'm just scanning through here. I think here's one, we'll do two more. So Cameron, here's one that's really great. What are the effective ways to like recruit for this? Like, is it like, um, like a recruiting firm or networking or like, like, where do you, where do you find for people like this? Like how do you poach? Like, what do you do? Yeah. So if you were a sports team and you were looking to recruit like a great goalie for your hockey team or a great pitcher for your baseball mm -hmm. team or a great center for your basketball team, would you post the job on Craigslist and Indeed or, you know, an, an NBA <laughs> job board? No, you, you, the, the best players are already playing somewhere and you would have recruiters out there figuring out where they are and you try to poach them and bring them over to your team. It's the same with employees. A players, true A players, are never out looking for a job. True play A players have jobs. They're working. They're knocking the cover off the ball. They're only going to hop to a great culture who gives them great opportunity. So you need to post them. So I like having great job postings that are very polarizing. And I like um, leveraging a recruiting firm, an executive recruiting firm. I have three or four firms that my clients have worked with for about eight to 10 years. And they're amazing at poaching and recruiting, especially at the C-level. Um, I've got one firm that's recruited second-in-command COO roles for 11 years. If anybody wants an intro, just drop me an email, Cameron at CameronHerald.com, and we can I can introduce you to them. But uh, th they can be really, really powerful. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Oh, last question. We got one more question. If you didn't get your questions answered, I promise you know we're going to come back and make sure that they get answered a little later on. So put them in there even if they didn't get answered. I got some people asking if they uh, can get access to the replay. Uh, yes, we're going to make sure everybody can get access to the replay. But just put in the comments, if you wouldn't mind, just add the word replay, and then we'll know that you want it, and we'll make sure that we get it to you as well, too. Uh, the last question, I think this is a very good question. Everybody wants to know this. Like, How do you figure, this is, I think, a really good question to end with, how do you figure out what to offer? Like, what to pay for this role? Like, how do you, what's your filter for figuring that Great out? Great question. So we also have a salary um, survey we can maybe drop into. Um, we've got a, if they want to get a salary survey, we show hundreds of second-in-commands with their title, their roles and responsibilities, whether they're male or female, where they're based, what their salary is, what their bonuses are, any long-term incentive. We actually show this survey of, of a couple hundred of them now. So we can share that. But the compensation that you're willing to pay should match a few things. It should be tied to the title of the person, you know, whether they're a director of ops, a GM, a VP ops, or a COO or president. It should be tied to their roles and responsibilities, like what they're really supposed to be doing, the level of P&L responsibility that they have, and the level of strategic insight that they bring to the operation. 
and the minimum amount of leadership time or management that they require from you, right? Really what that does is that puts the right title on the person. Those mm -hmm. things will give you the title and then the title should predicate what they're being paid. Now, I'll give an example, just a quick benchmark. When I was the COO for 1-800-GOT-JUNK, my comp was 306,000 a year. What year, what, what year was that? That was in 2007. That was 16 okay. years ago. Okay, so that was good pay, in right? Today's, in today's job. dollars, yeah. that's probably more like 750,000 a year. So wow. that's a true yeah. COO of a real company with real employees mm -hmm. and real business areas. So what's happening now is we're often giving out titles that are too big. Now mm. people are looking on Indeed and Glassdoor and looking at, and they're going, oh, COOs are supposed to get paid this. Oh yeah, but you're not really a COO. Well then don't give them the title. So before you worry about what you should be paying them, let's really worry about what their title should be. Because if you yeah. put the right title in place, it'll help to show you what you should be paying somebody. Yeah, the title inflation is sometimes skews it. So get the title right and then the offer will be more right. And then what about like offers like, how do you determine internally whether it's like all all comp or some shares or bonus? Like what's the what's what do you see as a standard practice? Yeah, most companies don't give out equity to employees. The whole equity in okay. lieu of compensation started back in the late nineties and the rise of the dot com era, and it was giving out equity or options instead of full comp. Once the NASDAQ crashed in the fall of 2000 and 2001, companies started giving out higher pay and still some options, but nobody really wanted options. And the rise up to the 2008-09, they then wanted pay and they wanted options and then they wanted bigger titles. So that's where the title inflation started. Like most companies don't give out stock or stock options. You know, Gen Y have gotten really good at asking for them. Gen Y and Gen X need to get better at saying no because it's, it's not a thing for most companies, but give people a good base pay, a great place to work, good training, you know, a good kind of meritocracy environment, fire all the assholes so they don't have to work with jerks, put them into yeah. programs like the CO Alliance and invest in your leaders so they feel it, like, align them with a great vivid vision, give them five weeks vacation, do all the right things and you don't need to give away equity in your company. Yeah, that's smart. Okay, before we wrap up, I want to tell everybody, how, how can they get more of you? What are the best places that people can get more information and knowledge from you? I know we only had 30 minutes. You've got so much to yeah. share. Uh, what, what are those options? Yeah, my, my six books um, are all available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Some have had, I think, Vivid Vision has now had over 1,000 uh, five-star reviews on Amazon. Second in Command is about 200 five-star reviews. So definitely check out my books. Take a look at the Second in Command podcast. And we also have the Second in Command podcast YouTube channel the CO Alliance YouTube channel. If you are a company doing more than 5 million or greater in revenue, definitely get your second in command to join the CO Alliance and then get all of the people that work for you in operations to join the ops spot. It's a great community for anybody that works at the manager or director level. And then lastly, the invest in your leaders course, certainly worthwhile checking out for anybody that manages people. It's a great way to grow them. If you grow your people, they'll grow your company. Awesome. Thank, thank you, Cameron. And everybody remember, if you found value in this, be sure to share it with your network. Sharing is caring. And if you want the replay, don't forget to put the replay down there. And if you didn't get your question answered, just make sure you, 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 know, you put it in there and we'll come back afterwards and answer them all. I really appreciate you, Cameron, taking the time to do this today. That's great. And hope you have a great day. Thanks, Matt. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. 
for more best practices from industry-leading COOs. Visit COOalliance.com.